This episode of the Weekly Standard Podcast is sponsored by The Great Courses. The Great Courses brings the world's greatest philosophers to your fingertips. With more than 500 audio and video series on science, history, philosophy, fine arts, better living, and more, The Great Courses are available on digital download and streaming at thegreatcourses.com or on DVD and CD or via The Great Courses apps. Best of all, you can listen to or watch The Great Courses at your own pace without the pressure of homework or exams. And now, for a limited time only, The Great Courses is giving our listeners an offer of up to 80% off the original price of selected courses, including The Secret Life of Words, English Words and Their Origins. For this limited time, 80% off offer, go to thegreatcourses.com slash WS to find out more. That's thegreatcourses.com slash WS. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, Mr. and Mrs. North America and all the ships at sea. This is Philip Terzian, literary editor of the Weekly Standard, and this is my weekly podcast on the books and arts section of the Weekly Standard. And this week, we lead off with an essay by my predecessor, uh, Joseph Bottom, uh, on um, the novel Dune by Frank Herbert, which was published exactly 50 years ago um, this summer. Uh, Dune, for those of you who weren't around in the 1960s, is a science fiction uh, novel. I won't, uh, I won't spoil anything with, uh, with, um, uh, by revealing the details of the plot, but uh, it was one of those um, science fiction volumes that, that, that takes off, I don't want to say inexplicably, because Jody makes the point that it's a, it's a novel worth reading, but it was a huge um, bestseller in its day. Um, somehow or other, it, it um, caught the zeitgeist of the era, which is a little odd, because it, I, I wouldn't think of it um, as a kind of 60s um, idea. But it's, it's an interesting essay that Jody has written, because it tells us something about science fiction as a genre, something about the era in which Dune was written and published, how it got to be published, the story behind the story. Uh, and it tells us, too, um, uh, something about why certain novels um, strike a chord in um, readership, and in this case, in a mass readership. So I... Um, I think you will be pleased by Dune's Half Century, as the essay is called. And for those of you who have never read Dune, and that includes me, um, this is about as perfect an introduction as you'll get. Uh, Jody Bottom's piece is followed by a review by Jay Weiser. Jay Weiser teaches at uh, Baruch College in, in New York City. Um, and writes generally, although not exclusively, uh, on um, business and law and economics for the Weekly Standard. Um, Jay, like many of our authors, is something of a polymath. He's, he's written, for example, he wrote the definitive essay in our magazine on uh, Brenda Starr, the comic strip. But I'm going a little off the reservation here. This week, he's looking at a, a book that is a much more uh, common uh, grist for his mill. It's a book entitled Coined, The Rich Life of Money and How Its History Has Shaped Us by Kabir Segal. Um, I used to illustrate uh, this review um, something that um, uh, I think everyone 
um, who's ever uh, gone through elementary school must be aware of, and that is the stone currency, the large stone currency that is used on the Pacific island of Yap. Um, the book coined is about the history of money as currency, um, how it has manifested itself, what it has meant um, in terms of, of uh, the economies of the world and how it has shaped those economies and shaped to some degree the way human society has been organized in, in economic patterns. Uh, economics, of course, is famously the dismal science um, Jay Weiser is anything but a dismal reader. He manages to make the whole subject of currency and coinage um, uh, as fascinating as it, it can and should be. Um, he thinks a little less of the book than others might, but as is always the case, um, uh, he has written an essay that uh, simply as a discussion of the whole subject of of coinage and currency is intriguing in and of itself. And of course, as, as you might expect, it takes us from the present day all the way back to um, uh, really the dawn of, of, of recorded history. That is followed by a review by Michael Nelson of a book entitled The Fellowship, The Literary Lives of the Inklings, J.R.R. Tolkien, C.S. Lewis, Owen Barfield, Charles Williams. Uh, the book is written by a husband and wife team, Philip and Carol Zaleski. Many of our readers, um, uh, of course, are, are fans of C.S. Lewis, the Oxford Don and uh, literary historian, um, who's also um, most famous in our time as a, a Christian apologist. And, of course, J.R.R. Tolkien is uh, the author of The, of the Lord of the Rings um, and uh, The Hobbit. And um, his um, fanciful um, uh, novels of Middle Earth and the kind of uh, quasi-medieval world that he invented, uh, which has become um, quite famous in its uh, cinematic form as well as um, being a great bestseller. Um, Tolkien and Lewis were very good friends at, at both Oxford Dons. Um, Lewis, I think, was at Maudlin College. Tolkien was at Exeter College, as I recall. And the world that they created um, is a very interesting one, a, a, a quiet, intellectual uh, world, um, a curious combination of, of rigorous intellect and high imagination, especially on Tolkien's part. Um, you will be surprised at the, uh, the sort of person who produced the, the Lord of the Rings, if you don't know anything about Tolkien, uh, by himself, and um, the fellowship is a, a very interesting evocation of the um, of, of a world of, of a kind of um, I don't want to say remote or ivory tower, but a a kind of isolated um, pre-modern academic world uh, that the authors uh, nicely uh, conjure and which nurtured the the uh, intellects and um, well, fervent imaginations of people like Lewis and Tolkien. I think, I think those who um, um, like uh, Tolkien's um, fantasy uh, fiction and Lewis's Christian apologetics will find it a very, um, very interesting read indeed. The um, next book we have is um, a, 
a book entitled The Disinherited, a story of family love and betrayal by Robert Sackville West. Um, this is reviewed by Sidney Leach, um, a writer here in the Washington area. Um, the Sackville Wests are an aristocratic English family um, in Kent who um, are the uh, uh, resident family at Knoll, one of the better known stately homes of England. And um, uh, the Sackville Wests are also perhaps um, best known in the present day because one of their number, uh, Vita Sackville West, um, was the daughter of one of the Lord Sackvilles of the early 20th century who uh, because she was a woman, uh, could not inherit Knoll, but became famous in her own right because she married the writer Harold Nicholson and wrote um, novels and poetry. And, and the Nicholsons, of course, bought their own little um, miniature stately home, Sissinghurst, which, uh, where she created her famous garden. But the interest of, of um, Robert Sackville West's book, The Disinherited, is that it talks a little bit about the ways in which um, historic homes like Knoll, um, spelled K-N-O-L-E, uh, come down through families, through entails and the uh, laws of primogeniture and other inheritance laws, which some of you might have um, gotten a, a first-hand look at by way of Downton Abbey in the last couple of years. But here we have a real house, a real family, and some real melodrama, especially in modern times um, where... Um, in some of the more recent uh, Lords Sackville, there has been uh, illegitimacy and dual families and dueling claims and all sorts of uh, all sorts of legal and and uh, dynastic complications, which can make these subjects both uh, very complicated and very fascinating. Um, interesting book and interesting piece by Sidney Leach. That is followed by a delightful essay by Thomas Vinciguerra entitled "Mighty Brow." And um, Thomas Vinciguerra has um, written, um, is um, actually the um, <clears throat> author of a forthcoming book entitled Cast of Characters, Wilcott, Gibbs, E.B. White, James Thurber, and the Golden Age of the New Yorker. He writes a lot about, about uh, the New York literary life of the 20th century. But this is an essay where he takes on the, um, the human phenomenon of the male, particularly the male brow, the however you want to put it, the, um, the, the impressive dome, the receding hairline, the bushy eyebrows, followed by the authoritative, expansive skin. But he takes a whole bunch of um, people, ranging from uh, 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 Dwight D. Eisenhower, Henry Luce, John Quincy Adams, uh, Edmund Wilson, all sorts of um, figures whose authority in... in Thomas Vinciguerra's estimation were probably uh, greatly enhanced by their physical appearance, including that, that masterful um, brow that must have intimidated uh, anyone who uh, stood in their way. Uh, it's a very funny piece, and, and it's actually a, one might almost say, a kind of scientific argument, which I think uh, Thomas Vinciguerra brings off. Um, John Podhoritz's movie review this week is of Trainwreck, which is the new comedy from uh, Judd Apatow, and uh, it stars the um, um, the comedian of the moment, uh, Amy Schumer, and uh, features um, some other um, well-known participants like Bill Hader, late of Saturday Night Live. 
John, as always, um, uh, he, he gives you a good sense of the film and also puts it in a very interesting um, perspective where we learn both about the, um, the ways and wherefores of modern cinema comedy and the, uh, the formula that has um, made Judd Apatow so successful as a modern um, director of, of comic and semi-comic films. That is our Books and Arts section for this week. I forgot to mention it's the August 3rd, 2015 issue. I thank you very much for joining me. I look forward um, to talking to you a week from now about next week's issue. Thank you very much.